My agent called, he said he got some interest in my strip. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Michelle Muldoon and Jordi Saba. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Michelle Muldoon, and I can't believe it's the first time that you've been on the show. I'm so excited. I was just, I mean, I've known you forever. Michelle Muldoon is a writer-director based in Vancouver, BC. Her films and screenplays have competed successfully in festivals throughout the U.S. and Canada. She's the creator of the Vancouver International Women in Film Festival Screenplay Competition and teaches the introductory screenwriting workshop for Raindance Vancouver. Her latest project, Last Stand to Nowhere, is currently being shown at Action on Film, right? Uh, Artemis Women in Action Film Festival this ah, weekend. Okay. Uh, Artemis Women in Action from Film this weekend in Santa Monica. So if you're listening to it, you missed it. But you will see it in other places. But you can see it next month in Akron, Ohio at the Bechdel Film Festival. There you go. Oh, Bechdel Film Festival. What a great name for a film festival. <laughs> kind of perfect for us, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it is. We also have Jordi Saba. He is a writer and director based in Toronto, Canada. He's a graduate, uh, graduate of the CFC, also known as Canada's AFI. His body of work includes award-winning digital short series and features. He was selected for Berlin, Whistler, and NSI Totally Television Talent Labs and won the 10,000 euro VFF pitch prize at the Berlin Film Festival. His work has played theatrically, sold worldwide, and has been selected for numerous festivals, including LA Fantasia and Comic-Con San Diego. And he's a partner along with his producer, Ashley, well, with producer Ashley Rains, because you're both producers, in We'll Be Over Here Productions. He just wrapped his second feature, Canadian Strain. And I'm very excited because both of these people are my clients. <laughs> For many years. Mine, mine, mine. So, but you were both coming to L.A. And I, and I get letters from both of you like, hey, I'm coming to L.A. And so and it was, hey, you want to get together? And of course, my answer is, of course, on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm getting the Canadians together. Today, the Canadians are taking over the podcast. It's about time, right? Um, yes. <laughs> I don't even know why it took this long. I have no idea. Well, we've been quietly waiting outside. We are subversive. To be let in. We just rang the doorbell once and sat there patiently knowing she'll show. And then said please. And then said please. And sat down and said sorry. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. We haven't said one sorry yet, actually. I'm working up to it. Okay. So, so Michelle, let's start with you. Um, so you are in town for this festival. And uh, how's, how, how was the audience? How did it go? It was great. Uh, you know, I was more scared for our cast and crew screening because we had f their friends and family out and cast hadn't seen it yet. And we had put about 80 to 100 people in a room and nobody had seen it before. So that was far more frightening than this weekend was. Uh, the response has been really positive to the film 
in the two locations that we've screened, and and we're just starting our festival run, so it gets easier every time. Um, now, you you wrote and directed it, yes. And um, why don't you tell everybody really briefly what it is about because it's a lot of fun. So it's a proof of concept for a limited series, and it's an all female casting of a reimagining of the gunfight at the OK Corral. So the Clantons, the McClowries, and the Earps are sisters. Uh, we're really lucky. We've got a great, great community of working actors in Vancouver that love to do different projects outside of the service production that we do. So pretty much everybody that I wanted on my first round of offers said yes. That's wonderful. But when you tell a woman that she can do a Western without a corset, it's hard to say no. Oh, sure, sure. And there was some some excellent... A gunfight choreography going on, fighting choreography in general. I mean, it's really a fun short. How long is it overall? 15 minutes. And that's pretty long for, for a short, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, I have a great editor. Mm-hmm. Thank heaven for Sarah Hadar. I mean, we shot a gunfight in a day and a half with eight people. Wow. And we don't have any problems with it, which is great. We got just enough footage what we needed because we had to go through really quickly on this. But when your cast comes completely prepared and... You know, uh, your gun wranglers are are on the ball, and which was a great group of people out of the Thunderbird Fast Rock Club. I mean, we've had a lot of community support for this, mm-hmm. so uh, it actually worked without any conflicts. Well, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, congratulations on being here in LA. And Jordy, what what brought you to LA this week? Was it was it business or pleasure? It was business. Business. Yeah. So tell, can you tell us about the business? Uh, was it secret? No. Okay. I wish it was. <laughs> that would be impressive if it's secret. Uh, no, just trying to start making my way into Los Angeles, like starting to do the meetings and trying to find people that kind of match your tone and style. And yeah. And, and uh, how many days have you been here so far? Three. Three. Have you taken any meetings yet? Yes. And how'd they go? Pretty well. Yeah? Yeah. It's always, it's interesting. It's like dating, I guess, in a weird way, isn't mm-hmm. it? So you're like reaching out to a ton of people in the hopes that someone says, yeah, I'll meet you. Uh-huh. So you get all nervous about the whole thing. And then, you you know, every, every email suddenly takes on a lot of significance because you're trying to impress this person to make sure that they'll meet with you. What did they mean when they said this? Yeah. Like, how do I sound? And you start like <laughs> doubting yourself and, you're, and, and every email suddenly takes on this a lot of importance. So I've had a lot of flashbacks to my high school days, (laughs) (laughs) remembering rejection and like a lot of it. So yeah, it's been good. It's still, it's a process Mm -hmm. because you don't live down here. You know, you don't necessarily know a lot of people down here. So I'm sure it's the same up in Canada. We just maybe don't think about it as much, but you know, everyone's looking to see who you know and how they would know you. And so it's a very, you know, although there are thousands of people in Los Angeles in the film intelligent industry, it feels very like closed because you're not going to that high school that they're all going to. So you're trying to kind of make your way in. So I'm sure a ton of people kind of have that no, as experience. An, as an out-of-towner, how do you assure whomever you're talking to that you can still be accessible and ready for whatever they need? Yeah, I think you're just willing to kind of do the effort i mean they always ask you like are you going to move to los angeles when are you going to move to los angeles and so there's sort of that back and forth dance where i think sometimes americans forget that canadians need like work permits and sort of you know there's a bit of a process to get down here whereas i think for if you're in america it's a little bit more of like you know just hitting the road and trying to get here and get a job so 
there's a little bit of like, I think they forget that we're not the 53rd state, right? Like that, there's like, <laughs> we do forget yeah, it because you know that, we want you to be so yeah, badly. Yeah. So, you know, like, cause they film up in Toronto, Vancouver, it's so easy and that, so yeah, sometimes you have to just say, of course. And, but on the other side, they also, it's easy to get down here, right? Mm-hmm. From Toronto or Vancouver. So it's not that hard to, with a couple of days notice or a week notice to get down here. So it's just kind of, um, a dance that you're playing with them to try to f- ensure that you're serious, but at the same time, like, you know, that you're not going to move here. I think Dan Aykroyd or another, I'm trying to remember at the CSC, they came in and said, you know, uh, this is the place where you can die from encouragement. <laughs> Essentially, like Los Angeles is the only city in the world where you can die from encouragement. <laughs> and, uh, it was, um, Ivan Reitman, who said it when he came in to talk to us at the CFC. Wow. And he said, you know, he had, he had spent like two years down here after the success of Meatballs and everyone else getting deals except for him. And, you know, everyone else got deals and they told him to bring him, you know, bring the next project in because I believe he was a producer on it. So he said, you know, you can spend a lot of time just kind of waiting around or trying to do meetings. So, yeah, it's been an interesting experience trying to kind of balance that willingness to get down here while at the same time knowing you don't want to starve right <laughs> yeah, starving's bad starving is bad right uh, let's talk about this balance that you guys have to do because because you've got a system in place in canada okay and yet you're here looking for more opportunities or different opportunities i should say let's start with what is the current system in canada for funding films like even the idea of like government funding for film sounds lovely from our end and you guys are both shaking your head negatively and no but t- tell us a little how, how does it work uh in the most positive way out there how do, how what's the, the 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 best case scenario out there for how the system works i always say that if the world was a global corporation canada would be excellent middle management <laughs> excellent <laughs> Because there are a lot of hoops to get through. Mm -hmm. If you can get through them, it's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes those hoops also move. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thing about Canada that's really positive is that you don't generally need a literary agent to actually talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. So navigating the system means constantly being aware of the system. So there, there are some funding opportunities but they're drying up annually and getting smaller and they're getting more managed. So with Telefilm, for instance, which is the primary government funding body, they do have something called the Talent to Watch program, which is for first-time feature directors, but there are things you have to do or be recognized for to be able to be considered on Talent to Watch. Uh, if you are an Adam McGoyan or a David Cronenberg or a Sarah Pauly or a, you know, a well-established international talent, your envelope with them is a little bit different. So it's, it's really almost like a pyramid, mm-hmm. how the money is distributed with uh, talent to watch at the top of it and the established filmmakers at the bottom base. Got it. Got Does it. that make sense to you, Jordy? Is that- yeah. Like the way the system used to work. Let's, yeah. So people, you're, listeners can understand who are based in America because if you're in Europe there's often like similar systems to the what's in Canada when you say government funding right mm-hmm. so there's usually you know across Europe they do the same thing they have a government 
institution. In our case, it's called Telefilm, which gets a certain amount of money from the government every year to distribute to filmmakers um, as part of the way that they make movies to support local talent. Because, you know, in Canada especially, that kind of started way back in the day when they felt that America being so close was really kind of swamping Canadian culture. And it happened in television and film and in radio as well with music. So a lot of Canadian artists got their start, you know, like the Guess Who and Bachman Turner. You know, they got mandatory radio play, although some of them would feel, and we can talk about this later, that in order to be successful in Canada, you have to make it in the States and then you come back home. You know, Randy Bachman said you can never be, you know, it's a common phrase, but you can't be a prophet in your own country. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you had to make it and then come back and then you were celebrated. But the way the system was set up is that there basically there would be federal play a federal government funding, provincial government funding for film and television. And we're both from different provinces, but there's different bodies for that. And then the broadcasters were mandated to put money into Canadian features as well. So they would, for a broadcast license, give you money to go into your feature. And then there'd be tax credits, which everyone can access. Up, you know, that's which, is, where, which is why Americans have spent so much time right. in Vancouver, yeah. Vancouver and, and Toronto. Toronto. Yes, and they want to thank you for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so they want to come up, and the tax credits are well established. Everyone knows them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very secure in a sense compared to some other states, kind of politically changing their minds on tax credits. Whereas Canada has been very sort of mm-hmm. consistent in that. So there's that, and you get a bit extra if you're Canadian. So, and of course, all these parties would talk to each other. So originally, you know, you'd put in Telefilm being the lead, you would put in your feature with a budget that kind of really consisted of all these players. And they would all talk to each other. And you'd kind of, if you got a green light from Telefilm, odds are you'd get the rest of the funding. You might have to make up a little bit. But for the most part, it was kind of this closed system of funding. And then what's happened, as Michelle alluded to, is that now the funding's starting to dry up. A lot of the broadcasters you know, are closing their funding uh, envelope parts of their business, so, so there's no more money drying. The, is, this that, just, is this just sort of like a, a case of just less money for the arts through the government because of the yeah. government's priorities? Like, Yeah, or they're the only... The problem is you have to make up the rest. So the government will only fund you up to 50% of your budget. Mm-hmm. So used to make up the other 50% through a broadcast license fee, but now they don't want to do that anymore. Broadcasters are starting to pull back on that. So it just means that you have to spend longer to make up the rest of your money, the envelope. And a lot of Canadians do that through co-productions. So, you know, we've got co-productions pretty much all over the world. Um, our private funding, which is really hard to come by in Canada, but it's possible. And then, you know, or mortgage in your house, I guess, like a lot of filmmakers <laughs> do. I mean, that's a common worldwide scenario. Oh so now that system is kind of breaking down a little bit um, so that now it takes longer and you have to fill more gaps. And the only other issue with that is that the constraints of the federal government in terms of what is required to make it a Canadian film still remain in place. So we're on, we're scored up in Canada. So you have to get a minimum. The scorecards changed in the last year as well. A little bit, you know, and the thing about it is ultimately whether you're in our system or your system, you have to prove yourself. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Uh, It's not free money. At a certain point, you're, it's a loan mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at certain levels of, of uh, funding. And so that idea that Canada gives free money to film is not true in many ways. In some, yes. Uh, but the thing is, you still, have to, you still have to prove yourself. You still have to reach those minimum benchmarks for them to have you on your radar. So 
I think at the end of the day, regardless of where you live, you still need to, and here's that word we talked about earlier, you have to dare. Mm, Because now the daring part comes with, okay, I'm not going to go that way. There's too many hoops, right? I'm going to do this differently. So now I have to dare to do it differently. Well, the thing with the system is, you know, the I think the the system is also sort of reevaluating how it looks at because what is distribution now? If 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 signing a license, a broadcast license with a cable company or getting distribution with a distributor is the benchmark, what happens to those films that go to Netflix? What what happens to online self-distribution? Does that get points down the road to get you moved up the system? So I think I think we're going through some reevaluation of our own systems as well. Um, at the end of the day, you can risk a little to move up into being someone that they notice, or you can keep trying to just fill out those two, three weeks of forms <laughs> with different different opportunities, whether it's a Canada Arts Council or Harold Greenberg, which we talked about, um, and get nowhere and two years later have no film. So what, what are your strategies right now, you guys, with your different projects, especially when it comes to, to even, I, I guess, to even moving beyond all that, like the reason you guys are here right now? I, I went crowdfunding mm-hmm. with Last Stand, and uh, we had a fairly successful crowdfunding campaign. I, I'm aware that I cannot do this repeatedly. Mm-hmm. We uh, raised a gross of almost 21000 Awesome. And then with the support and sponsorship and everything else, we, we cobbled together a Western, which is really hard to do on very limited money. Uh, I think that uh, what I've learned from the whole process is how to build audience, um, what it takes to build audience, because you have to build it with your crowdfunding. I want to make a feature. I have to figure out now how to find a fee- money for the feature. Um, so, and I don't know so, what that looks like. So yet. Doing, being an independent filmmaker has been the route that, that you've chosen. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Jordy, though, you haven't chosen... I mean, you've, you've, you are an independent filmmaker, but you also have, let's say, this TV show that, that we just worked on, which was really, really good. It's a half-hour TV show. Tell everybody about that. Oh, it's called The Fatherhood of Men. So it's based on my own experiences of being kind of a stay-at-home dad and having to survive that as well as kind of really redefine what your idea of manhood was in the same process. So it's kind of a, it's been a very interesting five-year ride on that one. He's now, still growing. In that case, right, now it, this, you're, you're looking, you're taking meetings out here. You're taking meetings out here for that project? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, that came about really... I had come out here previous with a previous pilot mm-hmm. and the learning from that, those meetings were, um, it's great. It was a procedural, mm-hmm. it was well received, but then they wanted something that spoke very personal. So, so it gave you an idea of who you were as a writer director. Mm-hmm. So that sort of initiated this idea to really give a sense of tone and style and voice. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I spent a lot of time exploring, which has been really interesting for me trying to get to, you know, you'll be asked that a lot, I guess, everywhere you go. But a lot in Los Angeles is what's your voice? Who are you? And so it's been a lot of, you know, connecting that into to work and mm-hmm. into trying to find your niche, dare I say. So that's why I'm bringing that down here. But I'm also bringing that up in Canada. I mean, I think for Canadians, like the reality of it is we're a small country. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very few doors to knock on. Mm-hmm. So once you've knocked on those doors 
it's pretty quick. There's mm-hmm. like three or four doors to knock on, right? <laughs> so like all filmmakers, the more doors you knock on, the better chance of success. So I think for Canadians, Los Angeles or Europe, I mean, there's we can't ignore that as well, right? With the co-production treaties. Um, again, it depends on the project, but those there are opportunities sort of as Canadians, we have to kind of find financing from wherever we can. And so we're using, you know, those opportunities to kind of try and find money to raise for our projects. I mean, I've done, I did crowdfunding for my last feature as well. And that was a really interesting experience. So it just, it's all dependent on what the project is and where it belongs to some degree, because I think you have to, like any funder, they have taste, right? So like any broadcaster, like anybody, so they have a certain style and a certain taste and you have to know if that your project fits that world and if it doesn't then you got to go look elsewhere mm-hmm. i think uh, i think you're right you're right about that i mean the last stand i would love to see as a limited series and that's what i'm pitching it as but it's clearly an american north american story i'm not going to take that that necessarily to the uk and say let's make a western set in arizona or or even you know the canadian west but I can use that project to get me into festivals there and I can pitch the projects there that I think would work well as a co-pro because I'm actually a, a UK citizen as well. Oh, yeah? So I'm, I'm a write-off in two countries. Wow. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm hoping to do. So I'm right now I'm, I'm researching UK festivals to just use a reason to go over and then start taking meetings there. So I, I think you're absolutely right. We have to, we have to look wherever we can. Film is global. Mm-hmm. I think we, the more we look beyond ourselves, the better chance we have of finding our projects funded. And how has uh, Netflix, how has all the streaming services impacted your, your outlook, you know, as writers, um, you know, as Canadian writers, does it suddenly feel like, well, everything is a little more accessible because everybody's going for Netflix and Amazon and you have just as much of a chance as anybody else? Or do you still feel like everything's a little bit closed off? Netflix has said quite clearly in Canada, don't see us if you don't have a producer with a background in television or, uh, you know, a strong voice and a literary agent that's going to come to us and set something up. So kind of just the same thing that they would say to LA people, to be honest with you. Yeah, the same. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, but having all those things, that's one of the reasons that you're here, Jordy, is like, let's, okay, let's take those meetings to try and get the producer attached, right? Are you taking meetings with literary managers and agents as well? or Yes, and then we'll come back down with mm-hmm. Ashley, my producer partner, and then go after production companies specifically for development. So again, it's because we don't live here, mm-hmm. which is one disadvantage, but maybe not. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Is that It just takes a bit longer to kind of find the right people for your projects. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of the name of the game right like you're fighting as i said to find finally meet these people and then only to discover it's a horrible date and you're still looking for magic right like it's it's about the same right it's like looking for love right you're you're going on a lot of dates and you fought really hard to get those dates and then it either bombs or you're hoping that you can kind of connect and that takes a while to learn i think that i mean you spoke to me a lot about that, right? And when, we, when we're doing our story editing, it's either they either get it or they don't. Right. And I think that's something that I've only recently learned to not be so upset sometimes when people say no to you because ultimately 
sometimes it's for a really good reason. You can take it away and learn and write better or direct better or pitch better. But sometimes it's just because they don't understand that, that voice and to kind of let that go because they'll never be able to pitch you anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have a certain kind of show and you're going and they go, well, I don't, that's, and they're uncomfortable with it. Don't even try. Don't, don't chase their notes, you know, cause they're going to try and get you to a place that you never intended. It's funny when I start a project, I'm shocked that anybody gets it. And then when you have a lot of people starting yeah. to sort of get what you're pitching and you come across the next person that doesn't, you're like, why do you go? Why don't you get it? All those other people got it. Because they, they wouldn't go see your movie to begin with. Exactly. And that's the thing. They wouldn't turn on that show to begin with. And it's in a way, they're doing you a favor. It's like, okay, I'm not going in that direction. Now I'm going here. Yeah, but it takes, I think, as Canadians, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for a whole country, albeit sometimes. It is random that we know each other, by the way. We're yeah. literally on opposite coasts. It was and it was hilarious. such a Canadian stereotype was, to be like, I actually know Michelle. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just, there it is right there. All Canadians know each other. Right? Do you know John from yeah. Toronto? Yeah. Yes. yes. And I literally just ran into some Canadians at a Starbucks, like in Los Feliz. I'm like, Why, how are you here? And so, you know, it's, anyway, these are the stereotypes we love. But I think for Canadians, or I'll speak for myself again, not for Canadians, but I think because we're so in this film funding world where you're so reliant on just a couple of people to make your feature, let's talk specifically about features, that you will start rounding your work to fit what they want. And I think that's part of the problem why there hasn't been a lot of like commercial success, commercially successful films out of Canada mm-hmm. where you're kind of rounding that commercial sensibility to because often I feel funders are confused between artistic films and commercial films. So in, for Telefilm and for all the funders, there was suddenly this big push to say, like, we need to be like mini studios. We need to make commercially minded films. Hmm. But at the same point, you're still like the people who are making those decisions are in love with art house films. So you get this like confusion as to what you're actually making and you end up in the muddled middle right. where you're neither making an art house film not really a commercial film. You're somewhere in the middle. That's and it called does- a boring film, right? Yeah. Like well, you have to commit. You have to lean into whatever genre or whatever, whatever those is the scope that's of your right. material. And, and I think that's been hard because, you know, with such limited doors to knock on, you really feel like I need to make this for the funders so that I'll get my movie made. Mm-hmm. And I guess this even goes a little bit for the broadcasters in television too. Again, there's only three or four doors in Canada that you can knock on. So I think Canadians are now, what Netflix has done, I guess, is made it more, feel more accessible in the sense that like your voice can find a home somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where it, it's still inaccessible once you actually get into the nitty gritty details as it is for all of us. Mm-hmm. I think your, pod, your listeners as well, but yeah. I think at least it's made it feel like there is a place for your story somewhere in the world. I think, I think it, the conversation is starting to, to change on that because I mean, I had a, I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and it was, you know, said really clearly that we need to be able to see that we can sell this in at least to at least four other broadcasters if we're going to take this on as a production. So we have to see the trail of broadcasters, not the one Canadian broadcaster, but the trail. So uh, I think that uh, that people are looking at not just the cultural significance of this story, what is it, is it our house? They're looking at, they're starting to look at how far across the globe can we take your project. And I, so I do think it is starting to change a little bit in Canada, which I'm, 
really enthusiastic about. Uh, there's a lot of good things about our system. There's also a lot of things that are really difficult. Um, and I think much like anything else in the world, when you're on the outside looking in, it looks really great. But when you're in the system, you you kind of get a little muddled by it, a little lost by it. And, and sometimes it doesn't feel so great. So I think you have to keep your eye on your story more than you have to keep your eye on pleasing them. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's still a lot of people out there pitching and the odds aren't necessarily in your favor. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be true to what you really want to make and take your chances. And that brings us back down to risk and daring again, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the riskiest, most daring thing you guys think you've done so far when it comes to this business? I made a women women-centered western does it get any dirt (laughs) (laughs) i don't know jordy what about you because i mean jordy you also um actually you wrapped your second feature canadian strain you've actually like you have more than one independent movie that you've written and directed right yeah just going the wrong way because the last one i had 12 days and 10 10, us dollars and this time i had nine days and seven thousand u.s dollars to make a feature to so make i'm going in the wrong direction holy what you only had that m- amount of money to make this movie yeah okay so when we talk about most daring yeah that would be it right there i mean as far as yeah did and you made entire movies with yeah this? yeah you make you you bootstrap that yeah there was a crew are they all in one room no multiple <laughs> locations multiple you can't get away with that anymore you can't you know make right. a movie in one room anymore so you just kind of we basically had the producer, myself, uh, camera, sound, and, and that was it. And we just kind of did it. Did we I did. look at any either one? Yeah, yeah, you story edited it. Oh, yeah, which yeah. one? Yeah. Oh, was it Canadian Strain? Canadian Strain. Yeah, it's about it's the first, com- uh, like, first movie to tackle legalization in Canada. It was ah. about the female weed dealer gets put out of business by her biggest competitor, which is the government in our country. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. So. I, I would like to say that, uh, you know, I've, I have a lot of Canadian clients. Every, at some point in their script, and I think I've said this to both of you, at some point in their script, there is always a weed scene. There is always a weed scene. It's uh, been going on for years. I'm like, how much pot do you smoke in Canada? I have five rules for Canadian film. Okay, all right. It has to be a road movie. Okay. <laughs> they finish at either a family cottage or a therapy center. <laughs> it's about death in some way. There is a dysfunctional family and somebody lights a joint. Somebody That's is the always, five features of a Canadian film it right It made there. me realize that Canada might be a fun place to hang out. That's for sure. But yeah, I'm t- telling you, going back like... 10 years i'd be like there is a pattern here with <laughs> but only with the with the pot that was probably now I'm the only place. now i'm going against your checklist to see how many have i checked off on the movie <laughs> I, I wrote that as a blog post once and somebody called me up and goes i just saw a five out of five <laughs> we didn't do a cottage so there's i know that for sure we we just couldn't afford it yeah. you guys since you both made films cheaply Right? How, just as general, uh, general tips for any filmmaker, what are some ways that you can cheat on your low budget filmmaking to, to bring something in but still looking good? Like 
some some things that some corners you can cut that people might not know they can cut. Like I work on a lot of other people's films for free, like mm-hmm. friends' shorts and proof of concepts and web series, because then they have to work on yours for free. Uh, oh. So I think I, my big thing is be a part of your community, and your community will support you. The second thing I would suggest, which started us off our successful journey, was. If you are doing something that is genre-based or very strong conceptually, do a proof-of-concept photo shoot. It was the first time I'd done this, but it gave me, before I had anything filmed, it gave me something to hand out and said, this is what I want to do. So kind of like a lookbook. Um, In your case, you're actually showing them images. You could probably also steal images. I mean, again, this is just for for inside. This is not for selling, but to show the kind of look that you're going for if you don't have time to do an actual photo shoot. But I had a a few cast already signed on. Uh So it's as... Because my cast is uh, are working actors in Vancouver and well known in Vancouver, it, the benefit was to say, "Look who this is! Look how I'm dressing them! Look what we're doing!" Because then it becomes more real. This isn't just my dream, and I've taken a picture from Godless and said I want to make this. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Chayla Horsdall and Joanna Newmarch and Olivia Peterson in costume. And you don't have to say, "Here, read this script and then use your imagination." Right. They don't have time for that anyway. But you can actually say, "This is this is." This is a storyboard almost. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. What about you? Anything, Jordy, that you that you were like, oh, you don't have to spend as much time on this or money on this as people think. Yeah, I think you have to have a group of very talented people, first of all, that are willing. I think you have to make the boundaries really clear. So I think you have to put everyone on the same page to say like, this is what it is, what it is in the sense that, you know, we, we only had a camera, we, you know, minimal lighting and we had a sound person and nothing else. So actors had to come with their own makeup or they had to do their own makeup or, you know, you had to prep everyone to say, we are going through 13 pages a day, Hmm. which means everyone has to be really prepared and it sounds overwhelming and it is overwhelming when you don't sleep. Like, you know, like I'm the producer and I are doing every other job, Mm -hmm. right? So PA, craft, uh, you know, grip, gaffer, location management. So you, as a creator, are tending to do all the roles because that's what you got to do, right? If you can't pay anyone, you're just going to have to take it on. And then you have to tell everyone sort of what the rules of the game are so that they all sort of get prepared and get into that headspace to be like, you know, we're just going to do it no matter what. And if it's something doesn't work out, we'll just move on or we'll work around it or it's fine. Like it's not going to be perfect. It's all going to be okay. You can make mistakes and we're just going to rock and roll this. But then what surprisingly what happens is it actually ends up in your favor in the sense that people work really hard. You get amazing, like just amazing looks, amazing feels. It ends up sort of being like, wow, you can do more with less. Because you're giving yeah. them more responsibility. They're just yeah. taking it more seriously. They're taking it more seriously, but you're also saying it's okay if it doesn't work out. Because I think people, it's hard to let go for everyone, right? Like you're so used to having a crew. I need a crew of 20. I need this. I need that to make my movie. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you sometimes you do. So let's not say, oh, well, you can do an action film without a stunt coordinator. Don't worry about it. You can fire off blanks. No one will come around. Don't like there's certain things that you need those people and let's all acknowledge that. But there are other times you don't need all that. And so it took a while to learn that. To be honest, it took me watching my first feature in a theater with three people (laughs) to 
to in a way it was horribly humbling to know that there are only three people in a whole empty theater but on the other hand you know after getting over the despair of having only three people watch my movie i also remembered like you know what you know you're hoping that millions of people watch your movie but they may not and in thinking and remembering that gives you permission to make mistakes or to just be more daring as michelle said right like go for it like let's do something risky because odds are you know it'll just be us family and friends who all love the movie or we might get lucky so in a way it allowed me to push the envelope further without having to feel apologetic or being like i have to impress someone with this feature this is going to make it or break it for me I think you really want to give people a reason to be invested in the project you've got them on if they're not making anything. So you have to be um, accommodating and you have to listen and you have to give back to those people. Like, I worked on all those other projects. Well, those people came and worked on mine for free. You know, it, it went both ways. You have, to, you have to be a part of the community. You have to be a part of the community of your film, but not above it all. Like they know who th- who's making the final decision, but you want everybody involved to feel like it's their film as well. You don't want to. You don't want. You're not going to be able to survive doing the hierarchical system of a union shoot on an ultra low budget indie project. Like you, you have to let go of those concepts of I'm the filmmaker and this is the way it should be. Yeah. Also, uh, what we've heard on this show and and it just always sounds so smart to me is to give people promotions too, so that you know if they've always wanted to be a DP but they were, what would be one thing down from being a DP? Mm. AC assistant yeah. camera. Okay, so, yeah. So they were an AC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking yeah. about. You know, now they're the DP, yeah. you know, and it gives them the credit that they need so they also want to do the best job that they can for you. So it, it's interesting. You're saying give them a little bit of, of, of room to create, and you're saying be very clear about what the parameters are, right? Oh, we're saying the same thing, though. Yeah, I think we, <laughs> right? I think I'm we not are, saying it, don't give them parameters. Right. No, you just have to tell them, like, it. it, it is what it is, and in doing that, you're you're giving them a sense of freedom in the sense that like you know people are gonna come on and be like well where's the craft and where's this and where's that you know like there's a bit of an adjustment for everyone to be like no there's just four people you're looking at us i'm the craft right if you're indie you'd better be a very good communicator because you are going to spend all your time communicating not just what the story is but what you're actually doing what everybody's role is what what their boundaries are in the sense of I am certainly happy to hear you with these ideas, but this idea over here, that's somebody else's own. Don't talk to me about that. You know, let somebody else feel empowered, mm-hmm. right? It's not a free-for-all. Um, you need to be a, a communicator. You need to keep the spirits up. You need to wear different hats. You need to be willing to get your hands dirty. Um, yeah, and give them, you know, everyone's got give everybody space as you say to like bring their a game to the table and express their ideas and make sure they're getting something out of it it's very really important to make sure that actors or cinematographers or just everyone's feeling like they'll walk away at the end of the day with something from your project be it an amazing trailer be it an amazing scene um you know i think people forget everyone always talks to be like well we're going to hit Sundance and we're going to get into theaters and of course that's the ultimate aim and that's like winning the lottery it's amazing when it happens and everyone says you should celebrate it but I think you forget too that sometimes you can just say by the end of this you're going to have a killer trailer Mm. as a cinematographer interesting do you know what I mean like that's an easy achievable goal yeah it's easy for me to say look 
we're going to look at these scenes. We're going to light it like this. We're going to light it like that. This is what I'm envisioning. And by the end of it, you know, at least you'll walk away with that. I can give you that. I can give you an amazing scene as an actor that you can put on your demo reel. And that part, I think people forget. Like, they go for the big stuff. Yeah, we're going to get into Sundance. And I think crew, after the third filmmaker said, we're going to get into Sundance, kind of go, oh, another one. So <laughs> it's more being like, yeah, I'm hoping we'll get there. But what I also think I can deliver to you is an amazing you know, scene that you're missing from your demo reel. Or like, what do you want to get out of it? And try to craft something to them so that they, as you say, become invested in the project. And then once they're invested, you know they're going to bring their A game. So it's sometimes just putting achievable goals in front of people is enough for them to like, to give you everything, you know. I think you also you. have to be willing to recognize your crew. Uh, nothing frustrates me more than, than indie filmmakers that only want to talk about their cast. Like, you, you have to take moments to publicly acknowledge every single person in your crew mm-hmm. that has done something. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, that, that key grip, that one person that got all your equipment for you and is looking after all the equipment for you because you only have, like, a cinematographer and one person on camera to pulling focus and one person doing equipment and one person doing sound, those people you need to talk about, acknowledge, and celebrate as much as your cast because they're not all getting demo reel material, mm-hmm. right? And that's part of the investment. There should be a partnership in indie between cast, crew, and and creative person, you know, person that's spearheading the whole thing. And, and that's something that I've really tried to do on this project. I don't know if I've done it as well as I wanted to, but I try all the time to make sure that my crew f- feels like I still remember them. I still acknowledge them. Yeah, so, I agree. And there's ways to do it too. Obviously, yeah. profit sharing. I mean, other filmmakers have talked about kind of in yeah. getting your crew to be part and parcel of the team, which is absolutely true. Um, so yeah, it's and then be willing to do all the jobs, right? Like I'm the writer director, my producing partner is a producer, but we're also like PA yeah. and we're setting up coffee and you know. When, I moved when, my video village. I have a picture. It's my favorite picture of me <laughs> on my own set. Is I'm moving video village, right? Because we were we were in a western town. It's like yeah. one end to the other, and if everybody's not all hands on deck, there's nothing worse than people just standing around. And if, I feel guilty if somebody else is doing all the work. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to pick up a C stand or move Video Village or do whatever yeah. I have to do to keep myself on time. Right? This is still I'm responsible for timing. Yeah, we're all in it together so you've got to like you know i remember our first day of shooting where ashley and i are just dragging all our gear from one location to another (laughs) our craft makeup costumes and we're going down queen street west considered one of the coolest you know streets in the world and hipster central and everything spilled all over the street oh no everything and so we're just scooping everything up on these two little dollies trying to get to the next location losing time costumes craft everything's all over the place and we just started breaking up laughing because like that's not the filmmaking you imagine right Right. like you know you're just like oh one more person would be amazing (laughs) so you know like you're that's but that's indie filmmaking that's the stuff you'll remember and then hopefully you'll create some magic out of it 
You guys, you know, another thing that's so great about the two of you, and I think the reason that, you know, when you're doing your independent projects and, and they're up on their feet, that people are listening to you, is that you're so willing to listen to other people. Um, you know, working with both of you, I know that you're just really open to suggestion or reinvention. You don't take it personally. Your egos don't lead, you know, and it's... Uh, it's, you know, you're really deserving of the success you've had so far and of the success to come. So everybody, you heard it here because Michelle Muldoon and Jordi Saba are going to be huge. And I can say, I knew him when. Um, Michelle, where should people go to find out more about your material, where they can sort of, you know, track what you're doing? Uh, you can find... Find me on all social media platforms, particularly on Instagram and Twitter as Paisley Media 1 and 2. Paisley Media 1 and 2. I have a small uh, blog and website I haven't used as much since doing more social media, and that's michellemuldoon.wordpress.com. You can find Last Stand to Nowhere on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, We have a pretty active community. We've, We've probably posted almost every day since we filmed. Um, so there is, there's definitely something there for you to check out. Um, but please, I mean, the more people we get on social media, the better it is for the project. Um, that being said, we've also had a really strong social media program during production and, uh, and those numbers have helped us a lot. So, so yes, if you really believe in the people and the projects they're making, find them on social media, um, especially the project and, and please like us. Right. Remember, everybody, crowdsourcing. It doesn't have to be crowdfunding. You're crowdsourcing because your crowd is eventually going to go see your movie and they're going to tell other people to see your movie and so on. Excellent. Thank you, Michelle. And Jordi, where can people see your stuff? I, I should see your stuff. I'm so sorry. I haven't seen the stuff yet. It's and I have to. so disheartening. I know. You haven't seen anything and you know me. I know you and <laughs> I've worked on some of these things. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. But I have, I, we just finished, like I, I just read that final draft that you did with that half hour and it's so good. Yeah, so I know how talented you are on the page at least. Well, thank you. I'm very excited about it. Um, you can find our stuff at willbeoverhere.com okay. or gsproduction.com. Um, and then we're on Facebook and Instagram. And LinkedIn as well, which is With, we'll the be professional over here. one. Yeah, okay. uh, and I am as well, so I'm okay. not that hard to find. Under Jordi Sabah, S A B A G H. S A B B A G H. S A B B A G H. Right. Sorry. There's, there's the, the Lebanese heritage kicking in right there. Right. Eh? Um, go to my website. How could you? I'm going to show you right after we get off this podcast. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good. And uh, remember, everybody can go to my website on the page.tv, see what's happening here. Um, Michelle has taken so many of my classes. Um, and you're the best. Oh, thank you. You, totally. were, you were taking my classes back when I still had like DVDs for my film clips, and I'd I have to like put them the in and then take them out. And then it was pretty crazy. But now it's a little more high tech with something called PowerPoint. Um, so you can take the in-person classes here at uh, the On The Page Studios in L.A. or take one of the new online video classes. Uh, we just started the six-week first draft class, so that is all signed up. But we're now starting a four-week TV class. This is a four-week 
online video version of the one day TV class, which is the live class here in LA. So first let's talk about the live class. As usual, the live class is 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and you will break story on your, uh, I'm sorry, on your TV show, um, pitch the entire series and definitely get sort of the structure, structural template of it. Um, then Carol Kirshner comes in and talks to you about the business. And Carol Kirshner is head of the WGA Showrunners Program and also head of CBS Diversity. Now, the online video version of it is an hour and a half on a Saturday morning for four Saturdays starting June 8th. And I, three of those Saturdays, I will be running you through that material. And one of those Saturdays, Carol will be talking to everybody about the business. So it's just the same as in person, only now it can reach people in Canada. Finally. Finally. Yay. We're not in the hinterland no. anymore. Pave roads and podcasts. <laughs> we have electricity. Electricity, watch them. And now we got internet. <laughs> no wonder we're so far behind. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle Muldoon. Thank you, Jordi Saba. Thanks to all of you for listening and have a good writing week. 